Who is your daddy? As my children were growing up, I was conscious about the behaviors I exhibited when my children were around. It was partially about the example set before me by my parents, and partially because I wanted my children to understand my mistakes so they would not have to repeat the lessons I had learned. My youngest son had an interesting conversation with some friends who found it hard to believe that my wife and I didn't drink at all during the time that he grew up. That's not to say that being a teetotaler made us more holy, but rather that I knew that alcoholism ran in our family and that addiction to liquor was a real possibility I wanted no part of for me or for my children. Now, as we look at our Heavenly Father, we see a legacy to strive to live up to, total holiness. Are you reaching for holiness or are you struggling? Hello and welcome to God's Word for You for today from Liberty Lake Church. This is part six in a series called First Peter, Victorious Christian Living Through Suffering. So take out your Bible and open it to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, and follow along with Pastor Shane as he walks us through how we should conduct ourselves in the session titled, Living in Light of the Holiness of God. Good morning. Thank you. I am, we are glad to be home. Sal and I had a wonderful trip. And, uh, man, we're glad to be back. I wanted to just take a second and say, man, thank you guys for the privilege of being part of your family. Uh, we met with the elders, it's actually been two weeks ago now, and just enjoying the body and the, the, the opportunity to hang out and get to know each of you and watching God work and all the volunteers. Uh, I don't know if you notice how much stuff gets done around here uh, during a week, but it's quite a bit. Um, and I was teasing Julie a little bit. I was going to say uh, the service is brought to you this morning by Julie Quirk because uh, I wasn't in the office at all this week. And if it wasn't for her, we wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have anything that I do have uh, done this morning. So I'm very grateful. It's a privilege. And I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, my bride and I are really enjoying this, enjoying you, and uh, glad to be home, glad to be back here. Sorry, I'm moving in, in my Bible. Uh, illustration this morning, wow, you guys are not going to believe this, uh, it involves my Mustang. I know, some of you are really shocked, I, I can see that on your faces, and I apologize, because um, it was not in my... Uh, it was not in my intentions as we drove to Wisconsin to find an opportunity for an illustration this week. I was not there. Um, but I should, I should, let me read the text and then I'll set up the illustration. I'm just going to read the very first verse here and then we'll go back and finish. But uh, in verse, uh, 1 Peter 1.17 says, And if you address his father, the one who judges impartially based on each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your temporary residence. So... You have the context. We're driving from Wisconsin. We're heading back home on our first 10-hour, 13-hour day on the road. And I want you to know that it was my desire to be a God-honoring Mustang driver. 
And so I was very careful with where I set my cruise control speed limit. Er, I'm going to call that the speed limiter. Cruise control. I don't need it to keep me up to speed. It works the other end of that spectrum for me, right? So it limits my speed. And so I'm being a cautious driver. One of the things I noticed, though, is that people in Wisconsin and Minnesota, they find the speed limit relative. And so I'm in the fast lane going a little bit over the speed limit. Um, Four to five, you all know that's Christian. We all know that. I'm just checking to make sure you're all Christians in here because some of you weren't laughing at me at that. Um, so I'm doing that speed and people are like piling up behind me in the fast lane. Now, anybody here hate people that do a certain speed in the fast lane and don't move over when you want to go faster than that? Right. We all love those people. I didn't want to be one. So I see cars coming, so I speed up a little bit. And, and I pull over in front of the next available spot. Well, there's one particular spot in Minnesota. I'm doing this, and I'm checking my mirrors, and somebody's flying up behind me, so I accelerate just a little bit above my Christian speeding limit. And I notice a car comes flying onto the freeway behind me, like, wow, that guy's nuts. And then I went, whew, that's an officer of the law. <laughs> Hence his ability to speed like that. And I pull over. I'm like, it's done. So I, I pull over the next available spot. I pull over and go back to my Christian speeding. And um, the car next to me clearly was not paying attention because she accelerated when I pulled over out of her way. And so she takes off. Well, the officer lingers next to my car for a while, just letting me know, got to my eyes on you. And then he chose to pull her over. And I'm sure she got the speeding ticket. Now, what's the point? One of the things that I noticed in my life, I really am excited about certain aspects of police enforcement. Have, have you guys ever considered that? When I'm in trouble or somebody else is doing something wrong, I am thoroughly excited about their presence. When I'm the one that might be fudging on a legal issue, not as happy to see him. You notice that? I tend to have a specific idea of what right and wrong is, and for whatever reason in my life, I tend to be okay with being fudging a little bit, but man, I sure want them to show up and help me deal with the other people on the road. Here Peter is challenging the believers in verse, I believe it was in verse uh, 16. He says, for it is written, be holy because I am holy, a command coming from God himself, God the Father. And then he jumps into verses 17 through 21 and challenges us to evaluate how we live based on who we claim as our Father. Let's look at this for just a minute. First Peter 1, 17 through 21. And if you address his father, the one who judges impartially, based on each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your temporary residence. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from, your fa from the fathers, 
not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was chosen before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the times for you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Father, would you direct us this morning in your word? Would you chasten our hearts, challenge us where our faith does not line up with our testimony, where our lives step away from the truth that we claim to believe? Would you teach us what it is that Peter is challenging the believers uh, that he is writing to today? Uh, to consider and to evaluate in their own lives. Guide us and direct us, Lord, this morning in your name. Amen. Can I tell you, I realized this morning as I was reading my text, man, I missed a great opportunity to do a topical sermon on fathers on a Father's Day. And the reason I missed that is because I was trying to prepare a sermon between breaks and working over in Wisconsin, and it was hot over there. Just coming up, trying to find a good excuse. But I'm reading it this morning, I went, man, there's a ton of stuff about fathers in here. Why is Peter interested in how the, the believers of that time considered uh, the, their fathers uh, or, or how they considered God as a father? And one of the thoughts that came to mind for me is that as a father, there's many times my boys come to me. I actually, I carry uh, several different roles, but there's many times my children come to me when they want something, right? When they need something. Um, depending on the situation, they would, you know, go to mom or dad. It, it all depends on what the what they're looking for and what they want uh, to try and accomplish. And um, but many, many times, I have to, I'm weighing out what's the best thing for them in, in contrast to what they want. And sometimes I think when we consider how we come to God. Uh, and, and I think Peter's driving at this, that we look at him as being a provider, but we all, don't always recognize him as being the standard of holiness and righteousness. But we see him as taking care of our needs. Look at what Peter says here in verse 17. If you address, the, this word here, address, is to call on um, the, the biblical sense uh, lexicon tool that I love right now. It's been a, it's been a great uh, tool for me in my Bible study. It says this, to call in a deity for assistance or protection, especially as a recognition of submission and deference or deference to a specific deity. So when you call on God, when you call him as father, do we recognize that he judges impartially? Like Peter says, do we come to him and, and go, yeah, three miles an hour, the speed limit's the same as nine. Okay, that wasn't funny, huh? I don't think it is either, but the reality is that it's true, right? Right? <laughs> I know I'm stepping on toes this morning, but mine were stepped on already, so just join me in this. If we're going to look at a holy God and Peter's challenging us to be holy as the Father is holy, we have to have a right view of him, right? If we don't have an accurate view, then we're not living accurately. So what do we think of when we think of God judging impartially? I love this passage. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. I love what Paul says here. We're going to read a few verses because you got to see who he says this about. 
I'm going to use a lot of Paul's writings today because I think it's absolutely spectacular that the fishermen and the Hebrew or uh, the, the Pharisee, the scholar of the law, both talk very similar about this particular issue. They both have some very, very similar views as if they were taught by the same guy. Galatians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. But from those recognized as important, Paul says what they really were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. Those recognized as important added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. For he who was at work with Peter in the apostleship to the circumcised was also at work with me among the Gentiles. When James, Cephas, who is also Peter, and John, recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we remember the poor, which I made effort, uh, every effort to do. Did you catch what, Peter, what Paul just said there about Peter? Even though they were pillars, who they were really didn't matter to me. Did you get it? Because God doesn't show partiality. It's very possible that I'm not as important as I might think I am. In the grand scheme of God's work, in the universe, and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's entirely possible that when we look at God as Father that we should rightly evaluate our own positions and recognize that when he looks at me, he does it with the same eyes, the same grace, the same righteousness and holiness that he views every other person in his church with. His grace and his, his salvation is available to every other person, every other sinner on this earth. It's his stuff. I am no more important and no less important than any other part of the body. And somehow my sin is just as black as everybody else's. If we call him Father, the one who judges impartially, and he judges us on each, uh, each one on his own work, we're going to get to the conduct yourselves in fear. We're going to, we're, I'm actually going to close with that today. So don't, don't shoot me yet because I'm not finishing this verse. We're going to get back to that. And by the way, I don't know if I've said this. I really do expect you to, to check me on this stuff, right? You guys know that, right? Okay, we're, well, this is a standard. I'm expecting you to read your Bible and to check what I'm saying that it's accurate. Okay. So that's, that's a minimum requirement for you to be part of our body. I need your help. You need to do that for me. Uh, it's part of God's plan. So just put it, putting it out there. Uh, so he's, if we call God uh, on God as Father while here on this earth, he's going to judge impartially. And what is he judging us on? Our each one's individual work. That's what Peter's saying here, right? Verse 17, the one who judges impartially based on each one's work. Work Now, we're not doing a gospel uh, of works. That's not happening. Um, don't panic. Uh, but follow along here with me as we look at this. 1 Corinthians 3, 
10 through 15. Paul says this, According to God's grace that was given to me as a skilled master builder, I have laid a foundation, and another builds on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it, because no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid. That is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hay, or stubble, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved. Yet it will be like an escape through fire. James talks about this as well, that, that a faith without works is dead. If, if we claim to be Christ, if we pl- claim to be God's, then our lives should be reflecting some level of that truth. Now, what work is Paul talking about here in 1 Corinthians? He's talking about building into other people's lives, isn't he? He's building on a foundation of Christ. He's, that, that process is being built up, and it's a work that's going, going to be judged by God the Father in the end, at the end times, in the final judgment. What does that work look like in our lives? What is that value? We're not going to spend all that time getting to that today. I just realized I'm on point one. Wow, and I'm not going to miss the clock hands this time. I am dialed in this week. I'm paying attention. We, uh, the, the, the second part of what, what uh, Peter's challenging us here, why do we live uh, con- and conduct our lives in fear during this time of, of temporary residence? He says in verse 18, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold but with the precious blood of Christ. We should know as children of God, if he is our father, we should know the cost of redemption. We should recognize what was paid for our redemption. That's part of what Peter's challenging is. Does this sound familiar? Didn't we just read this in the first part of the chapter? Absolutely. And what's so amazing to me is if you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, you're going to see Paul talk about this. Ephesians, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 3. Paul says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you previously walked according to this worldly age, according to the rule, the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and by nature were children under wrath, as others were. We have been redeemed from an empty way of life through the precious blood of Christ. One of the greatest gifts that God, through his sovereignty, has chosen to do with Jesus Christ. You and I have a new life to live. We have value in the work of the kingdom because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I am no longer stuck or, or, or trapped into my old way of life. I can even determine at some point in my life to drive the speed limit if I desired to. Now, that seems like a really small thing. How many of you feel like that's a small thing? Don't raise your hand. Because then you'll be accountable to deal with it next week. 
But in the reality of life, we would say that's a small thing. Oh, a small thing to just do 35 miles an hour from the corner into the stop sign at Liberty Lake. Right? Small thing. How difficult is that? And yet, when we begin to evaluate living and conducting our lives in light of the holiness of the Father, my computer's talking. I have no idea what it's doing. How significant, how challenging is that truth? How deeply would that affect our lives? How deeply would that change the things that I'm doing? If I even measured my speed limit in light of the holiness of God the Father. Can I tell you, I have to, I have to confess, I've talked about this more than once in my life, and we'll just leave it at that volume. Because I've read some of this text before. I've been convicted of, of fudging on simple, small things. But isn't the process of us walking away from who God is as Father, isn't it a small step? Isn't it one small compromise at a time? I mean, most of our sin, we don't, when God gets a hold of our heart and we're confessing our sin and He's beginning, beginning to give us new life, we don't typically uh, just go out and, and rob a bank. But we might start cheating on on. Uh, not giving back proper, you know, if we were given too much change. Um, or if we got a product that we didn't get put onto the receipt at the store. Uh, my point isn't to create this model of perfect living. I don't believe that's what Peter's challenging us to do. He's challenging us to consider who we call Father. Who is it that we claim as being the head of our lives? Who is it that we attest our faith and our submission to? If it's God the Father, then our lives should reflect that truth. Then we as His children should be intimately concerned about what it looks like to live as holy, in light of His holiness, as Peter says in verse 16. That we would live as He is holy. It's amazing, and we won't have time to look at it today. We've talked about this already um, in Peter, but God chose Christ as the lamb without blemish. What an amazing truth that is. Before the foundations of the earth, you can write in your notes Ephesians 1, 3 through 4, and go and check that out this week. That we're to be revealed at the last times. And in Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, my Bible actually says, I'm going to just catch this for you. In verse 10, it says, For the administration of the days of fulfillment, um, but the literal translation there is for the fulfillment of time. At the end times, Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. Christ was chosen by God to be the sacrificial lamb for you and for me and and for, for the sins of the world. What a beautiful thing. And Peter is reminding us that the value of who we are, the value of of us as the children of God is based on the priceless gift of Christ. So we can't get lost in the tension of how do we live our lives, as Peter is challenging us, that we conduct ourselves in fear during the time of our temporary residence. How do we live in that truth while dealing with the realities of the sins in our life? There's a tension there, right? Don't you feel it? 
as we read about who God is and then we deal with the real, the honest sins in our lives, the blackness of our hearts at times. I don't know how many times I have wrestled with feeling like a failure because I just don't live up to these things. So I believe that there's a great tension there, and it's supposed to be there. And I believe one of the main reasons uh, is point four, and I, I need you to correct this. I realize that I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't proof my, my text before I sent it to Julie. But in point four, it should say, we are believers through Christ. It is Christ's work on the cross. It is he, he is the one that establishes for you and for me the, the place between the two tensions, the holiness of God and the depravity of man. It is Christ that brings those things together, and it's in Him that our hope is established. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says this, For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is His God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast, for we are His creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time, so that we should walk in them. Isn't it interesting in that text, he says it's not from works so that we can't boast. It's all in Jesus, but he's also created us to do good works. So there's this tension that happens in and around the cross when it comes into contact with our lives. It is through Christ that we believe in God who raised and gave him gave Jesus Christ glory. It is the power of God who raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. And the purpose of this, did you catch that? In verse 21, Peter says, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. As we consider who we call Father, who is it that we're calling on in our lives? Is, is God the Father just the guy that we call when we're in trouble? Is God the Father the person that we, we ask to deal with other people's messes? I mean, do we treat him like the police? Glad to see him there when there's an emergency. Really hope he doesn't show up when we're breaking the law. Is it just me? Isn't that, who, isn't that how we can tend to live at times when our eyes get focused on ourselves? Peter here is challenging the believers of the church of that day to keep their eyes on God the Father in a right and reverent way. Understanding who He is. That yes, He is full of grace and mercy and He sent Christ who loved us enough to die on the cross for us through the love of God. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He sent Jesus. His only begotten Son. That truth is paramount. And yet He's still the God of the Old Testament. He is still a holy and righteous God that Peter challenges us to live holy as He is holy. What a great tension. I believe the purpose of this process is to remind us to get our eyes on Him. To pick our eyes up off of our current circumstances. To look towards God the Father. To recognize that not only do we call on Him when we're in need, but we worship Him 
and we repent when we're in sin because we see him for who he is. Look at what Paul says in Acts. Not Paul, I'm sorry, it's, a, it's about Paul. Um, conduct, uh, I, the, the challenge is that we conduct ourselves in fear, that our lives are conducted. Acts 9, uh, 31. This is, this is right after Saul's uh, baptism. Saul begins to proclaim uh, the coming Messiah. He, that, that's the process that he's out testifying about the gospel. And this is the transformation of Saul's life and his ministry, and we pick it up in 31. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in, uh, in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit and an increased in numbers. Now look at 2 Corinthians 7, 1, and this is where Paul is talking. He says, Therefore, dear friends, since we have such promises... We should wash ourselves clean from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, making our sanctification complete in the fear of the Lord. I believe that one of the key elements for me to keep my eyes correctly fixed on God is to understand and to have a right view of Him. I don't know if you notice this. You really should read through the Old Testament and watch. Every time that the people believed they were in the presence of God, what did they do? Somebody throw it out there. I know one of you has read the Old Testament. Fall on their face. Absolutely. Why? Because they were unstable on their sandals? Bad foundation in the sand? I don't even know if they had sand at that point. I think the place was lush with greenery. Maybe they tripped on a vine. Why did they fall on their face before God? Because they saw Him and they recognized His holiness and they recognized the tension between that holy God and their brokenness and their sin. And their natural posture was to be on their face to the ground, humbled, submitted, surrendered. Anybody bowed lately? I got to tell you, that is tough for us to do. Man, that is hard to do to actually prostrate ourselves on the floor in front of someone else. And yet that was the natural position for mankind when God showed up. What's changed? What's changed? God's still that holy God, right? We have Jesus. That is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. And he bridges the gap between those things. But the holiness of God has not faded. Brothers and sisters, I believe that part of what Peter is challenging us to do is to once again gaze into the face of God the Father and to see him for who he is. Did you, rec- did you notice that he references again that this was done before the foundation of the earth outside of time, beyond our comprehension. This is a holy, supernatural God. So how we live matters. I believe we should conduct ourselves in a reverent fear of God. And I, I want to challenge us. Um, I've heard the, the word fear here retranslated into respect. 
That's a very um, Christian word. It, 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 nowhere that I've found in any of the translations did they, ta- did they take the word and change it to a respect. It is a trembling fear before God. Our confidence, our boldness comes because of Jesus Christ. That's how we enter his presence. That's how we stand. That's how we bow before a holy God is because of Christ. And I think the second thing is, not only are we conduct ourselves in a reverent fear, but we should recognize this is temporary. We're not here forever, at least not in our current condition. Jesus Christ is coming back. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. There is great joy in the ending. But we're here in this life, in this moment, temporarily. So my Mustang, it's just a car. It is. It's a piece of mechanical majesty, I know but it's going to fail and it's going to get chips and people I love are going to violate my car. It's going to happen. And how my heart handles that reflects whether or not my focus is on heaven and on God the Father or if I've become an idolater and I'm worshiping the things of this moment and the things of this earth. What does it look like for you to call on God as Father? I think we should very carefully evaluate how we see Him before we claim to be His children. It is a deep, wonderful, and amazing truth that you and I are children of God. But He is still a holy, supernatural, just, and righteous God. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your long-suffering, your patience. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ and the joy that we have as we stand forgiven before you. And yet, Lord, we know from Ephesians that our faith, that this gift is not based on our works, and yet you challenge us through your Scripture to live lives and to conduct ourselves with this reverent fear, a right view of who you are in your holiness and your perfection. God, I pray that you would not relieve or help, not allow us to somehow minimize the tension between the blackness of our hearts on a daily basis and the holiness of who you are, but you would draw our eyes to the spotless lamb, to Jesus Christ, the gift that he is, the miraculous and amazing truth of our redemption and adoption into your kingdom because of your plan in Jesus. Help us to keep that truth in front of us this week as we deal with speed limits, as we deal with physical ailments, as we deal with honoring people at work, as we evaluate the fleshly, sinful desires of our own hearts this week. God, help us to keep you in view. 
that we would repent when we need to repent and we would rejoice always giving thanks in every circumstance. In your name. Thank you for listening to today's message from Liberty Lake Church in Liberty Lake, Washington. Our pastor, our elders, and our prayer watch team are available to pray with you or to answer any questions you may have. Contact us through www.LibertyLakeChurch.com or follow us on Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you and welcome any comments you may have. As always, We appreciate your prayer support. Join us next week on God's Word for You for Today for another message from Liberty Lake Church. Thank you again, and God bless.